You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Two fans, one mission, bringing Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store, this is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David. Welcome once again to another episode of Professional Baseball to Portland. As always, we're your hosts, Ben. And I'm Dave. Welcome once again. Welcome. Yeah, Dave, uh, you know what we're talking about this episode? I think we're talking about... Uh, basically, the history of baseball in Portland, the early pioneers, if you will. Yes, the early pioneers of professional baseball. So, do you know, can you, or do you recall when the first professional baseball was recorded in Portland? I, I think I remember hearing, is it around the 1880s? Am I right? Close. So, the earliest known recorded baseball was in 1866 in Portland. Wow. But what's the interesting thing is, is that that's the earliest recorded, but I have seen also other reports from the Eugene Register Guard from August 5th, 1910, that Oregon baseball was in 1856, was quoted by an old settler named R. Stinton, Stint. Sinet, sorry, of Medford, who claimed that he organized in 1856 the first baseball team in Corvallis, Oregon. Hmm. Pre-Beavers, huh? Yes, pre-Beavers. And so there's also another report from the Portland Daily Journal on August 4th, 1910, that also ran the same story from R. Stinnett about early baseball in Medford. When he claims to have organized the first baseball team, I mean, what does that even mean, organized it, like, or official, or what, what, in terms of, as opposed to just some kids playing baseball in a park? I wonder what that means. Yeah, it, it didn't really clarify, because there's a lot of old records that I was looking at when trying to determine when, when the earliest known baseball was in Oregon. But my understanding is, is that baseball had expanded in that time frame because of the military and a lot of military members you know going to different parts of the country and and then in the Oregon Washington territory at that time right because Abner Doubleday is credited with inventing baseball uh-huh. and was he out of New York Ohio where's he out of I think New York or Ohio, yeah, somewhere around there. somewhere over there. So, so it had to make its way west. Yeah, and it did and, that know, a lot with base in the, with in the military. mid 1800s. It had to yeah. make its way west. And then okay. you had, you know, you had Fort Vancouver, that was over right. just on the other side. So the military over. would make sense. Yes. Yeah. Professional baseball was first recorded in the 1800s in Oregon, more specifically in East Portland, and it was formed by the. Pioneer Baseball Club, also known as Oregon Pioneers and Portland Pioneers. So it's like three different names for that hmm. specific team. And it was actually, they actually composed it of two different teams. They had like the first nine and then they had like a second nine. Oh, like a JV and a varsity almost? Yeah. And, and it was actually interesting because 
the Oregonian or the, the, the paper at the time recorded it as an inter-squad scrimmage between the two teams. You had the fielding team and then you had the batting team. But the players are actually getting paid and people are charged admission to watch them. No, actually, that is that is not the case. Oh, okay. in this particular case, which is interesting, is is that it was a club sport. People were essentially paying to play, and it wasn't it wasn't composed of your normal um, professional baseball players at all. Hmm. So people would pay to play. Yeah, and it okay. was my understanding. They pay that they pay the organizers, the the owners of the club, essentially. Well, it's it just a couple. Ordinary Joes, just like you and I. Oh, wow. So it's just like they're composed of merchants, doctors, lawyers, and farmers. Okay, gotcha. And what I did get was that professional players were not allowed to be part of the club at all. Even though they had professional teams at the time, they specifically prohibited professional players from playing on the clubs. Uh, That's fair. That makes sense. Like I said, the first mention of the club was in August 3rd, 1866, during an inter-squad scrimmage game in East Portland. Um, Again, the Oregonian on August 8th, 1886, reported and published the uh, game itself of the box score. It was 24 to 28. Uh, So it had the, you know, the fielding and batting. And so let me recap the the score by inning. So in the first inning, the fielding nine, they scored one. Uh, The batting nine scored two. And there was no run scored by the fielding nine in the second or the third inning. However, the batting nine scored one run in the second, two runs in the, I mean, sorry, eight runs in the third, five in the fourth, three in the seventh, three in the eighth, and six in the ninth for a total score of 28 runs, as opposed to the fielding nine, which scored 24 runs. But what's interesting about it is that there wasn't actually nine people on the field. There was actually eight. They had a pitcher, catcher, shortstop, first baseman, second baseman, third baseman, left fielder, and right fielder. No center fielder. No center fielder. So they got had to have played more towards the center of the right, field. Playing and, the gaps. Yeah, and had to run. So they were composed of uh, the pitcher for the fielding nine was Robert Law. Then there was the catcher, Theodore Miner. Then there was a the shortstop, James Upton. The first baseman was Ward K. Witherall. Then it was second base was George Wheelock. Second base was Frank Warren. Left field was C.F. Burgess. Right field was a white those are the fielding nine the batting nine was catcher was james Steele. left fielder was joseph butchell the center was george cad pitcher was william wadhams the third base was sb parish and the second baseman is c upton and the first baseman with ed barstow so a lot of professional names there yeah they said that the the the, the kind of in the box score and the actual Oregonian mentioned that the fielding was so close that no home runs were were made during the game by either nine. Ha! Huh. Even even with two outfielders, huh? Yeah. I, wow. I gotta wonder, did they have a fence at the time, yeah. or was it just like an keep, open field? I keep thinking about gear and equipment. You know, I, like, yeah. I, I just keep thinking about what that looked like. Um. So it went on to say that the weather was lightly favorable, being cool, cloudy, and still. The game ended up going on an additional three innings in which said, quote, after the not the match, 
where the fielding nine won by not five. So it continued on even longer, and the fielding nine who lost ended up winning in the extra three innings by five. Hmm. Um, so they did say that the attendance of the game was reported as being tolerably favor fair. However, reports suggest fans arrived throughout the game. So they, it must have been enough to where people were interested in, in coming. Again, what, they didn't have TVs at the time. And were the fans char- charged to watch the game? or was I think it, it was free. It was you free. just could come and just watch it. Okay. Um, so then uh, to go on more about like the actual team, that they said that they had practice was held on the grounds at Oak and Fifth Streets at 5 p.m. And then uh, before the games and then after the game. And so by the second game, which was held on October 14th, 1866 against another uh, ball club called the Clackamas Baseball of Oregon City. It's the earliest known date of establishment. The earliest known date of establishment was 1866. It was June slash September. They were called the Clackamas Club, formed after the Pioneer Club. And they were formed by a gentleman by the name of Bruce Bruce. Alderice and a little bit more about Bruce was that it looked like that he went on to form some other ball clubs in the area Hmm. Um, so going on the Pioneers won by a score of 77 to 45 wow that's like a basketball game they're getting in shape yeah and so there were there were home runs in this one there were one uh, five by the Pioneers and two by Clackamas And so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the pioneers themselves and, and who they were. Uh, so Joseph Butchell, he was 35. He was born on November which in 1830. 35 in the 19th century. That's pretty old. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he came to Portland. This is weird. He came to Portland in a covered wagon at the age of 23. Think so he of was a legitimate wagon. pioneer yeah. for our pioneers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, his first job in Portland was a... Uh, do Aero type It's a studio Like a studio on the front On front street And uh, Do type If I'm pronouncing it correctly um, It is a photograph Taken by the early photo- Photographic process Employing an iodine Sensitized Silverized plate And mercury vapor Basically, it's an old school still photos kind of Civil War era. Right, right. So they're exposing themselves to mercury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he eventually took over the studio from Leland Leland H. Wakefield. In 1868, he was elected the president of the Oregon-Washington-Idaho Territories Association of Baseball Players. He eventually went on to work for the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office. Then he became a real estate broker. And he passed away on August 10th, 1916. August 10th, my birthday. Hey. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. So, I forgot uh, to wish you a happy birthday, by no, the way. No, thank you. Yeah. The uh, other player uh, was James Steele. He was 32. He moved from Ohio in 1862 when he was three. He was a grocer for two years before becoming a cashier at the First Nation Bank of Portland. He later served as president of the Willamette Savings Bank. Doesn't your wife work for a bank? She does. That's cool. So your wife can relate to that. Yeah. Um, The next guy was Frank Warren. He played for the team and later on made a lot of money in the salmon canning industry. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because I think that I had a conversation about this particular gentleman. I I called you up all excited. I'm like, Dave, you're not going to believe this. 
Um, Frank Warren, you know, he was really famous and he's, he's, fa- he's continues to be famous. Warrendale, Oregon is named after, after him. And the most interesting thing out of all the research was, is that he died in the sinking of the Titanic in 1912. Wow. He and his wife were uh, celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary and his wife ended up sell, uh, s- uh, surviving the sinking of the Titanic. Hmm. He was born on May 10th, 1848 in Ellsworth, Maine. His father was Francis Warren, and he was a member of the Oregon Territory Legislature in 1857. So Warrendale, which is uh, right around Hood River, right? I-84 yep. is, is named for him. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, I, I saw some reports more on him. <clears throat> And it was just talking about how devastated his wife. And they said that his wife ended up dying a few years later when she returned to Oregon. And that they said that she had taken ill. I got to imagine it was heartache for her to have been exposed to that particular Mm -hmm. incident. Titanic. The Titanic sinking and watching her husband freeze to death in the water. And, And it said that he saved her by putting her on the boat. Hmm. Uh, instead of her. So I, I just remember watching the old Titanic movies and, and seeing this happening. And I can envision like what's going on having not been there. The next person is Ed Quackenbush. He was a 26. He was a bookkeeper from New York. He owned a business selling hardwood for carriages. He studied political history, composition, philosophy, English, and advanced math. Now, aren't you a, aren't you a teacher? I am a teacher. That's uh, English and advanced math. That's a, that's a pretty impressive resume right there. Philosophy too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a teacher, isn't that, don't you think it's a lot of work to take on? Yeah. Yeah. That's a true intellectual right there. Yeah. But again, he wasn't distracted by electronics, so no, no problems. <laughs> exactly. And then it said that he tried to enlist in the army, but was denied. He moved to Iowa and campaigned for Abraham Lincoln. Wow. So can you, I mean, just all this history that surrounds this team already. You've got the Titanic, we've got history, we've got photography. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. It's just crazy. And then Theodore Miner, he was 22. He was a native of Brooklyn, New York. The team's first catcher and president, which he served until 1867, was the recording secretary for the Library Association of Portland. He left Portland in 1867 and returned to New York, then moved back to Oregon, settling in LaGrande. Eventually, he moved back to the East Coast, where he passed away in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1932. Now, other members of the team included Ward K. Witherell. He was 30 years old. He's a uh, saloon keeper from Massachusetts. Uh, William Wadhams. He was 34 years old, a wholesale grocer from New York. James Upton, he was a 22-year-old attorney from Michigan. And Peter Wolf Dioff, 30 years old, steamer from Pennsylvania. So what, is, what does that tell you about this team, Dave? It, tell you, it tells you that all different types of people love baseball. That's what it tells you. That, that baseball is attractive to, basically can be attractive to anyone and everyone. Yeah. And so, fast-forwarding from 1866 to 1867 season, the Pioneers split themselves up into two different ball clubs. On May 29th was the first game of the season. They played 
Occidental Club of Vancouver, Washington. So Vancouver had begin formed their own club. And so this club was first reported as being a baseball club on May 18, 1867 by the Oregon City Enterprise. The article stated, Vancouver has not only an efficient fire department, but two baseball clubs. <laughs> Go Vancouver. They got a fire department. Is it like the bucket brigade? It's funny. They had one fire department, but two baseball clubs. Yeah. That's hilarious. The two clubs presumably were Occidental and Sherman Baseball Club. Now, Sherman Club, as we talked about, about military, was cons- consisted of soldiers from Vancouver Barracks. By the fall of 1867, Vancouver baseball clubs grew to five, adding Washington Baseball Club, Continental Baseball Club, and Oriental Baseball Club. And basically, it was saying that they were composed of those particular um, affiliations from like Washington, Continental, and Oriental. So, um, and anyway, so the like the pioneers, the Occidental Club was highly structured social organization you know we talked about having you know dues and people paying for it well they were a structured organization like maybe the masons and and other like unions like those types of things they had had some they were a little more formal with their organization yeah exactly so members paid dues rather than being paid the club meetings were held minutes were kept treasurer's books were also kept there was a constitution and bylaws to demonstrate how clubs sought standardization of the game and a connection with other clubs in the region. Interesting. Um, So, so this kind of evolution, this is, I I guess you could look at this as like the evolution of professional baseball as it is now with the hierarchy and this and that. And obviously the founders decided there was significant interest in this. I mean, they were gauging that early on. Yeah, and it's like the gentleman's club at yep. the time because you have all these people paying to be a part of this club. So you could you could essentially say it was the gentleman's club of the early mid 1800s. Yeah. Um, as a side note, there was enough interest in the community to read the rules that a Portland bookseller advertised copies of the Pacific Baseball Guide for 1867 for sale. Hmm. Obviously, there was interest right there. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. We were just talking in our first episode about the deep, rich history of Portland and how Portland really is a baseball city, right? It is. It absolutely is. And this goes to show, I mean, if there was enough interest in publishing a rule book, just a rule book, then that goes to tell you how successful baseball could be in here in Portland and continue to be. Yep. They're talking the 1860s. Yeah. 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 So uh, going on, the earliest match for the Occidental Club occurred on Saturday, May 11th, 1867 against the Sherman Club. The Sherman Club won 45 to 5. Oh, to be a fly on the fly on the fence of that game. Yeah. So the paper reported this about the game. This is a pretty bad flaxing. <laughs> it, it does not appear to discourage the Vancouver boys who are determined by hard exercise to regain their prestige. I love the word choice. You, you gotta love you gotta love news writing in the 19th century. Just waxing, fantastic. Exactly. So moving on. So Portland versus Vancouver. The day of the match was a long affair. From the reports that I saw, spectators and the team pioneers departed Portland on a steamship at 6 a.m. and were uh, greeted by the Occidental Club, who was escort who escorted them to the playing field. The game took place in the heart of the city. 
The game started but did not finish without being a few issues. Hmm. One such issue was the failure or thought thereof by the umpire to observe the proceedings of the game. Oh, so er- early on, the umps are getting it from from everybody. Yeah, and, and it yeah. was just like, hey, they're not following the rules and so on. It's but it, it was just bad back and forth. After three hours and 45 minutes, the game ended with the Pioneers victorious by a score of 79 to 62. Now, let's talk about these scores. This is right. pretty outstanding. Are runs still counted as one run when a, when a player touches the plate? Is runs still run, run, or they, do they have some system? I don't know, but, I mean, to have a score of 79 to Did you get extra, like, points or runs for an extra base hit? Did your team, I mean, I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to calculate this. It's insane. It is. And, and it sounds like fun. It does. It's it sounds a, like a lot of fun. It's a lot of runs. Yeah. Um, so they said immediately following the game, there was a bountiful dinner <laughs> at the Alta House for the participants and spectators. The announcement read as, quote, the dancing men, the, the dancing men and women of this city, Portland, will be pleased to learn that the Occidental Baseball Club of Vancouver has determined to close the day of the match game with a dancing party at the Metropolis Hall to which all the world and his wife and the rest of mankind are invited. That's awesome. I mean, listen to the words with dancing party of Metropolis Hall to which all the world I mean, you don't hear that type of verbiage any longer. You you don't. You don't. Um, So the days of print, right there. But but the interesting thing about all this is that you know how we talked about there being some controversy. Well, it had continued on for several days afterwards, and even in newspapers, there were some bashing of each other, and they kind of did it on a fair. But they were just really upset with the umpire situation. Right, the beginnings of a rivalry, the beginnings of uh, questioning and and battling with umpires. This Mm -hmm. is this is baseball. Through and through, right here. Yeah, exactly. So, game two that year took place on June 17th against the Clackamas Ball Club. It started at 3.43 p.m. The Pioneers defeated the Clackamas by the score of 78-37. to Now, that's a shellacking. That is a shellacking. And then it said they would play again on June 4th, July 4th. This time, Clackamas won 55-44. to Well, that's a squeaker. Yeah. On September 7th of the same year, the Pioneers issued a challenge to any team in Oregon or Washington Territory to play them at the Oregon State Fair. The Clackamas and Willamette Baseball Clubs accepted the challenge. On September 28th, 1867, the baseball game took place, and the Pioneers fell 63-40. to Wow. By 1868, the Pioneers and five other clubs from the area form a union named the Oregon and Washington and Idaho Territories Association of Baseball Players. The games were based on the rule system set down in 1863 by the National Association of Baseball Players in New York. So the rationale behind forming this union was really just consistency of rules and umpiring. Yeah. You know, that we, we think of unions, we think of other protections, but this is just about consistency, fair play, and umping, essentially. That's what the union was all about. Yeah, and I think, you know, they, they formed it because just like any other um, organized groups, it's let's have a set of rules mm-hmm. and let's follow by these rules. But at the same time, we're not paying you. You're paying to be a part of this. So that gives them an extra, I guess, an initiative, if you want to call it, or incentive, yeah. Incentive to play by the rules, to have everything be fair and equally balanced. 
Um, but it was in- it's interesting how the progression of going from no baseball in the area to then becoming this organized group. And, and how quickly how quickly they developed that formal bureaucracy, bylaws, constitution. I mean, that developed quickly. Uh, that's interesting because, you know, we, again, we don't think of we don't think of baseball in the 19th century around here. That's just, you know, I, I don't think anyone thinks of baseball before the 1970s around mm-hmm. here. Um, and, and, and obviously, um, obviously, it's not really necessarily the baseball as we know it, but that's baseball, the fundamental baseball. Yeah. Um, and this is back in a time when they didn't have helmets. And I think they have like these either big, big, huge baseball gloves or they didn't really have much of anything. So just imagine not having a helmet on and having somebody, I don't know, maybe throwing the ball 60 to 70 miles an hour coming at your noggin. Yeah. I'm wondering what the ball even looked like, uh, the cleats, or, you know, the, the shoe wear, footwear. I mean, it's just, that's just amazing. The fields. Um, I'd, I'd love to, at some point, dig up some images of that uh, just to see what it looked like. Yeah. And it would be really cool. And we may have to see if we can do that to, uh, you know, maybe post on our, our website or uh, Twitter page or, you know, Facebook to, you know, for the listener to, to see that. But did you know that um, they still have, I think on occasion, Vancouver, they'll still have um, some people that'll come out and play like the old school baseball. And even they have a pioneer group where people still come out and, and play it. They, it's called the, still called the Pioneer Club. And they it, it, it's like they're reenacting it. So yeah. essentially they wear the same type of uniforms and garb. Exactly. Tell so, me a little bit more about this. This is crazy. So um, what I've been able to see is that there's, more specifically with the Port, the Portland Club, so it's the Pi- Portland Pioneer Club. So they have these really old school hats. You know, like, you ever play um, Mario Brothers? Yeah. You know how they have like the the hats in Mario yeah. where they're like the, the new, big the new, big newsboy hats. hats. Yeah. Yeah. So the hats look the same. Um, they have these really old school you know uniforms with their bats, and you know they're just playing out in this open field. So you know that's what it really looks like. And I, if I recall correctly, the colors were like a red and white. So it's all you crazies listening right there, you, you know. Um, you know, you think uh, Civil War reenacting something. You should go do this 19th century baseball reenacting. This seems something, this this reenactment, this 19th century Port- baseball reenactment, seems like something Portlanders would get into um, in terms of they're, they're, they're kind of very uh, vintage oriented mm-hmm. and they're, they're kind of into history and into that kind of um, experimentation. This just seems something like something that Portlanders would be into this yeah. reenacting and uh, authentically playing 19th century baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'd like to see like when we do get a professional team, what I'd like to see is maybe they have like a pioneer. If they don't use the name pioneers, but I'd like to see like them have like a pioneer night and maybe they host like this old school like baseball game between maybe Vancouver and Portland just to like show us some of that deep rich history. I wouldn't call that a gimmick. I would call that something that I think would uh, go over very well in Portland. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not gimmicky at all. Something that Portlanders would get into. Um, Just just I mean, this is the town that has the naked bike ride, you know, so uh, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's not only the naked bike ride, but Portlandia and, you know, like the the 1880s is alive in Portland, like soundtrack playing the game. Yeah. I mean, downtown Abbey, uh, you know, uh, obsessors and whatnot. So this is 
this is Portland at its finest. It is. You know? what, what surprised you most about hearing what I had to talk about regarding that re- that the first two years in that history of first organized slash recorded baseball in the area? What surprised me is how quickly things got organized. And what surprised me is how quickly the interest grew. It was, it was obvious in terms of... Um, just from that celebratory uh, news write-up, mm-hmm. how how, how the, apparently you know people enjoyed it. The interest was there, and um, you know we, we you know we, we we have this cliche right: America's pastime. Mm-hmm. Baseball is America's pastime. Yeah. But there's some truth to that. Uh, in, in a time when you know there, there weren't a lot of pastime options, there weren't a lot of recreational options, mm-hmm. and. You want to talk about baseball's cultural development, you know, and and the impact culturally baseball had on this developing nation, you know, uh, 19th century. Uh, It's fantastic. Yeah. And and what what gets me is, is that, you know, we will sit at home now from our couch and watch a baseball game that's thousands of miles away or across the world, maybe in the World Baseball Classic or or whatever it may be in the Olympics. But at that time, you know, they were to them. I mean, maybe traveling over to Vancouver or traveling to Clackamas. I mean, that was a long ride for them to be able to do that. And so, I mean, this this essentially was an all day affair. And that, you know, that took a lot of effort on the behalf of either uh, party, whether it be Vancouver, whether it be Portland, whether it be Clackamas, to put this together. So, I mean, this was, like you said, America's pastime, which to and, me represented family time. And, and between the trends, they didn't have that kind of leisure time. I mean, this is, this is a, a society, a time period. They didn't have that kind of leisure time. But the fact that they would commit that kind of time and energy to something outside their working week... Mm-hmm. was amazing because yeah. again we what we, we comparably we have a ton more leisure time today mm-hmm. yeah because we don't get we don't have to grow our own food yeah uh you know there's lots of things that we don't have to do we don't have to go out and milk the cows so you know back in that time frame you know you you, you did essentially take a day off that's impressive it's in and it's impressive commentary on the sport itself Frankly. It is. It, it tells you a lot about um, the, the the history, the culture of the time, and just how quickly the the residents of the area were able to pick up on the game of baseball and to support the game of baseball and to show the interest in it. And maybe the the, the listeners can help us out a little bit. I want to know this. I want to know about this scoring. I got to know about this scoring in terms of. Did were people really crossing the plate a hundred times in a game between the two teams, a hundred plus times, or was there some kind of different scoring system or point value placed on it? Because I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I, I find it very fascinating, and I couldn't believe the the actual results of the scores. Because I mean, if you see a, a team maybe score twenty uh, runs nowadays, I mean that's that's, that's insane. Yeah. So. Um, but anyways, we'll have to dig through the archives. We will. So, uh, you know, that'll do it for this episode. We wanted to give you some uh, brief history on the first you know, two years of baseball uh, being recorded here in Portland itself and start that um, first chapter in our ever growing uh, podcasting history of baseball. Yeah. And, and, and bringing, you know, bringing everything together as we get closer to the actual arrival of Major League Baseball in the city of Portland, Oregon. 
And that's what this is all about. It is. And so in what we're looking for moving in future podcasts is we'll continue our kind of our history of baseball again. And we'll continue talking about some historical aspect in it. Everything that we talk about has some sort of affiliation with baseball in Portland. Is that correct? It does. And, 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 and again, we're just we're just establishing uh, establishing, I guess, the, the cultural identity uh, of Portland and the part that baseball plays in that. And yeah. that's where that's where the history and the characters involved, the historical figures and the evolution. That's where all of that uh, ties in. Yeah. And uh, so that'll do it for uh, this episode and, you know, keep it locked here. We'll be uh, getting another one out and we look forward to you continuing uh, following us on our podcast. Uh, appreciate you listening. This is Dave. And this is Ben. All right. We'll talk, I'll listen. We'll, we'll speak at you later. Peace out. Peace out.